Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember, subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 14th episode of 2023. But before we kick off, I'd like to thank Wesco, the platinum sponsor for Fiber for Breakfast, and our gold sponsors, Nokia and Vetro. You know, last week, the Fiber Broadband Association hosted Fiber Day on the Hill in Washington, D.C. in the Rayburn Building. Our goal was to set the record straight and educate members of Congress and their staff on the capabilities, performance, and necessity of fiber to close the digital equity gap for generations to come. We had over 200 members of Congress and their staff come through to see our demos and splice fiber, and some members of Congress used our podium for short speeches on their efforts and support to connect every American with fiber. So it was a great event. Um, Simultaneously, uh, Commerce Secretary Gina Romando and NTI Assistant Secretary Alan Davidson traveled to see some Fiber Broadband Association members, Comscope and Corning, in Hickory, North Carolina, to celebrate the announcements of new fiber optic cable production in the U.S., made possible by the administration's Internet for All initiative. You know, Comscope and Corning are investing a combined nearly $550 million, creating hundreds of new jobs in America to build fiber optic cables that will help to close the digital divide. You know, today at 11 a.m. Eastern, so following this, uh, the Fiber Broadband Association, along with research analyst firm Cartesian, will be holding a webinar, Developing a Rational Methodology for Setting the B Program Extremely High Cost Threshold, uh, High Cost Per Location Threshold. So that's a mouthful. Um, this is a really important parameter. And so while NTI is you know, mandated prioritizing the prioritization of fiber projects for B funding, Each state will be setting an extremely high cost threshold where they can consider alternative technologies. As this threshold is different in each state, um, we went ahead and commissioned Cartesian to help develop a methodology to help, you know, that state broadband offices can use. Tomorrow in Oklahoma City is our next regional Fiber Connect workshop and train the trainer class. So hopefully we'll see you there. We have a sellout crowd as usual. It's going to be awesome. And if you're not able to meet that with us tomorrow in Oklahoma City, registration's now open for our regional Fiber Connect workshop in Austin, Texas on May 16th. So these workshops and hotels sell out quickly, so please register early. That brings us to today's Fiber for Breakfast session with Angela Thee Bennett from NTI on a session on Internet for All, addressing the digital equity gap in the US. Last week on Fiber for Breakfast, we heard from Ryan Kudra, from Finley Engineering on Electric Cooperative Broadband, Why Make Ready Matters. The quick takeaway is there's about 200 to 250 of the 900 rural electric co-ops are actively um, providing broadband to their communities. But the remaining 650 to 700 co-ops will need to either become active in participating in broadband or passively participate with make ready provisions and potentially partner with other providers to ensure that every member of these rural communities is served. You know, that's this brings us today's Fiber Breakfast session with Angela Thee Bennett from NTIA on 
Internet for All, Addressing the Digital Equity Gap in the U.S. Angela is the NTI Digital Equity Program Director, um, responsible for the allocation of $2.75 billion in digital equity programs and the development of the guidelines for states to strategically utilize these funds to have a transformative impact in their communities. Throughout her career, Angie has focused on community work, improving the quality of lives in her Cleveland and greater Ohio communities. Her vast community and public sector experience includes leading East Cleveland's Department of Community and Economic Development, serving as the superintendent of community uh, school in Cleveland and the Ohio State Board of Education. In her previous work at community-based internet service provider, she was instrumental in growing the customer base and helping over 1,500 individuals benefit from affordable digital access during the height of the pandemic. Angela is an advocate and ambassador for equity and inclusion, using her network and voice to elicit social change. So welcome, Angie. And for our audience, please type in your questions as we go, and we'll work those into the Q&A at the end. With that, I'll turn it over to Angie. All right, thank you so much, Gary. Um, as um, Gary shared, my name is Angela V. Bennett. Um, my pronouns are she and her, and I am so um, excited to be here today um, to share with you our program. Um, but before I jump off into the program, um, just want to kind of lay context. Um, we all know that you know the pandemic amplified what many of us who have been in this space have already known was that access to affordable, reliable, high-speed internet is not a luxury, but a basic necessity. And what we experienced during the pandemic was that children were not able to access their learning. Um, uh, seniors were not able to get access to um, healthcare um, from the comfort and safety of their homes. Um, and, you know, many, you know, um, individuals found themselves unable to access basic essential services, you know, from the government um, or even to, you know, access, you know, workforce. And so in response to, you know, the pandemic crisis um, under the leadership of the Biden-Harris administration, Congress on a bipartisan basis, you know, passed, um, the bipartisan infrastructure law and and part of that um, is the digital equity act programs um, and so as part of the bipartisan infrastructure law um, 48 billion dollars was allocated to ncia um, as part of that 48 billion dollars 42.45 billion was um, allocated to be the broadband equity access and deployment program, which not only brings the last mile internet to the home, there's also significant um, people. Because while we're focused on the technical aspects of the program, we don't want to make we don't want to lose focus on our purpose, and that is the people, and that's even integrated within the BEAD program with the workforce development. Um, and then there's the digital equity program, the 2.75 billion dollars that. Once B gets them connected, we're here to ensure that um, everyone has access to the internet-enabled devices and the resources that they need to live a full, fulfilling life. Um, we also have the tribal program, $2 billion, which brings internet access onto tribal lands as well as adoption and meaningful use. And then the $1 billion of the middle mile program to build, build out the middle mile um, infrastructure. So under the Digital Equity Act, we have three programs. The first is the State Digital Equity Act Planning, I mean, State Digital Planning Grant Program. 
And that $60 million is a formula-based program that goes directly to the states. Um, and for purposes of our grant program, the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico are treated as states, um, territories, and tribal communities to develop digital equity plans. Um, all of the states have been awarded their plans are in, and are in the process of developing their plans. By the end of this year, uh, we anticipate that all states will have completed their state digital equity plans and then will submit them to us um, in early 2024 when we open the state capacity grant program, which is a $1.44 billion program, so that states can implement the, um, the plans that they develop during the planning process. Shortly after opening the state capacity grant program, we will then open the state, uh, the competitive grant program, which is $1.25 billion, which local municipalities, nonprofit organizations, community anchor institutions, um, and other organizations that serve the covered populations, which we will go into soon, um, they can then compete to help fill the gaps, you know, that are missing um, in the state's um, digital equity plans. So within the, within the plans, um, states have to, here are some critical components. They have to state a vision, you know, without a vision, where will we go? Um, we want them to have, you know, measurable objectives. Um, it's important, you know, during the pandemic, everyone was in crisis mode and it was, you know, how many, you know, outputs, you know, how many devices we can get out, how many, you know, individuals can we get connected in? And so what we're trying to do is, um, in Congress and, and, and the administration was so um, insightful is to have people take a step back and engage in the planning so that we can ensure that we're going to have the impact from the funds. And so that's making sure that the, the objectives are measurable. Um, there's a, um, a significant component of outreach and engagement to work with different organizations so that they can identify the needs and the barriers to access, but also do an asset inventory. In spite of all of the challenges that our communities have had to face, there's strength and there's assets and there are people who are making things happen in spite of the lack of resources and so we need to make sure that we're capturing that great work as well to help build upon and then there's the implement implementation strategy um, you know what is the time frame and there's also the component where the big plans are to be integrated with the state digital equity plans and so just aligning those plans as well I talked about the stakeholder engagement. There are multiple stakeholders that have, you know, a role. I mean, this is a whole of, you know, nation approach. It's not just the federal government, it's not just the states, but we need to make sure that the telecom providers are, you know, at the table, our tribal communities, our community anchor institutions, our local governments, our community organizations, and most importantly, People are at the center of the work that we do, and those that are closest to the problems are closest to the solutions. So it's so critical that those individuals that are mostly impacted by the digital divide are at the planning table and so that their voices um, can be heard um, and have influence on the plans as they're being developed. So these are eligible entities that states can engage with um, to develop this uh, digital equity plans. Um, community anchor institutions, um, organizations that represent our covered populations, our public housing authorities, um, entities that carry out workforce development plans. Um, so those are just a few of the organizations that are eligible as 
subgrantees um, under the Digital Equity Planning Grant. So these are our covered populations. So our covered populations are low-income households, our aging population, so age 60 and above, our incarcerated individuals, which includes those that are, you know, re-entering that um, may be in a halfway home as well, anyone that's, you know, confined, restricted, our veterans population, our peoples with disabilities, um, people with language barriers, which includes our low literacy and our immigrant population, our racial and ethnic minorities, and our rural inhabitants. And know that these are not exclusive, but they're intersect. So you may have someone who's from a low-income household that's also a member of the aging population as well, um, or someone who um, is a veteran that lives in a rural community. And so it's important to take a holistic view and not silo the individuals you know, that we're working with. And so here we're at the request for comment. Here's where NTIA has come into the community to ask them for their voices and to help inform how we design and evaluate our capacity and competitive grant program. So you heard me talk about we are in the planning phase right now. States will submit their uh, plans um, by the end of this year. And in early 2024, we will open the $1.44 billion capacity grant program. Next slide. So during this time period, we wanted to hear from you. Tell us how we should be designing our capacity and competitive grant programs. Let us know what does success look like for each of our programs? What is America's extraordinary story in 2030? And how should we measure whether we are achieving that? How should we design our competitive grant program so those who have not had a seat at the table can have an opportunity to participate? So our requests for comments are currently open. Deadline for comments is May 1st um, by 5 p.m. Eastern time. We even created multiple opportunities, uh, ways for you to submit the uh, comments. You can either um, upload them to regulations.gov. You can email them to us at digitalequity@ncia.gov, or you can mail the comments to us. And you don't have to answer all of the questions. You can select and choose which questions are most important to you. We are also working with various organizations who want to host their own listening session. And we are um, working with them, helping to coordinate it, and then we're coming in, kicking off. Whatever it is that you need from us, know that we are here to serve you. Um, so if you want to host a listening session, email us at digitalequity@ntia.gov. I'm on the other side of that email to respond to you. Um, and so uh, this slide deck will be shared out and you'll have the link. Um, but if you can, if you want to go to internetforall.gov and click on the digital equity programs, you will find information about our request for comments. Well, Angela, this is great stuff. And I mean, who better than you to lead this effort? Uh, so tell me a little bit about, you know, how the program works. You know, so B, you know, there's, you have the maps and you do the allocation per state. Um, and then the states, you know, are going to administer the grant programs through approval from NTI. Is that similar to the way that digital equity is going to work? How do you allocate? Are you just basically looking, the, the whole pot of money is available and it's just going to be allocated on who has the best proposals? Or? 
It was actually allocated on a formula based. And so each of the states received their allocation. So it was based on a combination of populations, you know, the number of covered population, uh, the number of covered populations that they had in okay. the state, as well as the, you know, lack of access. And so it was a just a formula. So states have the amounts, you know, that they can um, spend um, to uh, develop their digital equity plans. We've also seen states, you know, add additional dollars. And some states have combined, um, you know, part of the BEAD is also, you know, there's a significant local engagement within the BEAD program. And so there, you know, some states have kind of shared that engagement responsibilities between the BEAD and the digital equity programs, which we've encouraged them to work closely together because they should be integrated. So this, every state has their number for digital equity. Um, how does this all work together? So we have affordability, you know, we have the availability, we have digital equity, so how, and then workforce development. So how does this all work together? So um, within B, there's, so everything, I would say intersects, right? Everything intersects, so, so nothing is, so within the beat, you have the last mile getting the access to the home, but you also have the workforce development. So that's part of the non-deployment uses that um, states can utilize under um, the beat program. But it doesn't preclude a state from then also incorporating workforce development within their digital equity plans. Because within beat, it's around you know, the infrastructure, deployment, um, but there are also other occupations, you know, that are you know everyone's not going into you know broadband infrastructure or related activities and so under the digital equity program you can have workforce development for other professions um, and then also some of those we also know workforce development particularly with our um, underrepresented populations that there's additional services that are needed you know wraparound services to ensure that you know they are successful um, as well so so it's really encouraging states to take a very holistic approach and you know not just look at the beat funding or the de funding but then also looking at other state funding that they can you know stack and layer on top of our programs as well as bringing in philanthropy and you know and other um, investments because the reality is, you know, $48 billion is a lot of money. However, it's going to take more than that in order to truly close the digital divide and achieve, you know, equity for all. So, you know, tons of questions popping in here. So what data did you use to uh, quantify the covered populations? Was that census data or? It was census data. And the census, we have the population viewer. So if you go to our website, you'll see the census population viewer. And I do recognize, and we all recognize that that population viewer was at us, you know, kind of a, a high level, a state level. We have worked with the census and they'll be releasing an updated version of that, which will take it down to the census track level so that you can really measure your baseline and then the growth from there as a result of the interventions that you've, you know, that states have identified in their digital equity plans. So there's this, um, one of the questions that came in is for the disabled, you know, equity is not a matter of infrastructure, connectivity or affordability like ACP, it's bridging the technology to got, uh, excuse me, technology gap for accessibility to uh, assistive um, adaptive technologies. Uh, so, 
what how does that roll into this oh well our disabilities um, population is one of our cover populations and so in all of the state's digital equity plans they are required to um you know not just address but they should be you know they should have a seat at the table and so we are also working with organizations you know not just within our federal agency sister agencies but we are reaching out to other organizations that are serving um, the disabilities community and making introductions to the states as well so if there are individuals that are serving in this space um, and would like to reach out to us you know um, please you know feel free um, I encourage you to reach out to us. What you will also find on the internetforall.gov website is um, we push for transparency. And in order to have a seat at the table, you need to know where the table is at. And so um, if you uh, go to the map and click on each state, it will provide you with the state broadband office contact for that state. NTIA also has state federal program officers that are boots on the ground in every single state to serve as that connector between the community and the state. So feel free to reach out to your state federal program officer. Their contact information is listed there as well. Great. So one of the questions that came in is, does NTI have a preference on a community partner model or a, like a direct provider model? We encourage communities to um, develop a model that best meets their needs. And I, I don't see that it's a this or that, but I think it's a this and that. Again, it's a whole of nation approach. We need everyone to the table. We do encourage states to invest in the organizations that are um, within their states as well, um, because there's a sustain, you know, people ask about sustainability, you know, what happens when this is over? And it's important to invest in organizations within your state to help build the capacity of those organizations so that when these funds are expended, the work can continue. So how do you know when we've achieved success? What are the metrics that you're looking for to really know that, you know, did, did this work and, you know, do we have digital equity? That's why we have a request for comments. <laughs> You all let us know how, you know, what will success look like. And so that's something that, you know, I've been very intentional making sure that we are hearing from the community. There are a tremendous amount of people who've been doing this work prior to, you know, the, the bipartisan law, you know, getting passed in November of 2021 and this um, program and this position being created. I recognize there are there people there in this space for 20 years. And so we are soliciting and encouraging um, them to provide their feedback and share their work to help inform how we should measure, you know, what success looks like in, in you know, 2030. So one of the things I've run into is, you know, so telehealth to me is, you know, to be able to provide world-class health care to every American, no matter where they're located or what their social economic bracket is. Um, but yet the it, there seems to be a gap between like crossing state lines and where doctors are licensed to practice and just the willingness of the healthcare you know during the pandemic that the healthcare providers were very flexible on this but now the pandemic's kind of behind us and they're kind of it, it doesn't seem like the insurance companies like to do telehealth and doctors i mean how do we get 
everybody on board. So this can be, you know, if we're going to have digital equity, we need to make sure that everybody has world-class healthcare. And that's as one example. Gary, I agree. I mean, what we're going to see as a result of, I'll call this a movement, <laughs> this um, is that we'll see policy changes. I mean, that's true. You know, pre-pandemic, um, you know, one of my kids, you know, went away to college and I wanted his therapist to continue to engage and she couldn't because it crossed state lines. And, you know, for folks to want to go back to what it was prior to the pandemic, it's we, we need to move into a new normal and being able to access, you know, healthcare, you know, with providers and, you know, with mental health, it's the trusted relationship with your provider is so critical. You can't just pick up and, you know, reestablish that trust someplace else. And so what I'm hoping to see um, throughout all of this is some really important policy changes that will be focused on the people, you know, and not, and so, and having the system adjust and evolve so that the needs of the people are truly being met. Um, so within even our team and within an NTIA, you know, we are people led, you know, it's, it's about people are at the center. And so hopefully these institutions and these systems will change so that people are at the center of the work and, and we're talking about solutions that are best for people. No, fantastic. Cause um, you know, we had the Harvard uh, mental health guys on five for breakfast and they were talking about how their patients that can use their phone and they can be able to track, you know, the, how much sleep they're getting and their activity and be able, you know, so that a lot more actionable outcomes and just, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of better patient outcomes from mental health. Uh, but their huge issue is, you know, digital lit literacy and being able to train, you know, people with mental health to be able to, you know, use smartphones and things like that. So is, I assume digital literacy is going to be, when uh, training is going to be a key part of this? Absolutely. Um... You know, and I don't want to sway people's comments, so that's why you kind of hear me hesitate on. Um, but but it would be nice, it would be great for our country, so that you know when we reach a point where everyone has the access that they need, the devices that they need, and the skills, and they can choose. You know, everyone's not going to use you know every aspect of the internet, but people should have options. And they should have the skills that they need to be able to utilize the internet in the way that best meets their needs. What about um, reaching the incarcerated? Um, so are we, you mentioned the people that are coming out of corrections, but is it, I mean, what, where, is there a line there or is it just, how do we look at the incarcerated? We are reaching them. Our goal is to reach them while they are incarcerated to reduce the recidivism rate. So we've been meeting with the correctional um, education directors across the country, connecting them to their state broadband office. We are actually going out. We've, we've visited um, um, institutions. So we were at the Michigan um, uh, Vocational Village. Those are for um, individuals who are 18 months pre-release and they can apply to go into a program and receive training and will actually have a job placement prior to release. We're going to visit another institution in Florida. Um, on the 19th, I'll be at an institution in Ohio. Um, so we are, we're not just talking about it, we're actually going out and looking at best practices and wanting to lift those best practices up because we know that 
if we can help reduce the recidivism rate and increase success for our returning citizens, that also has an impact on their children and their families and education, our educational outcomes for our kids. Um, when I was in education as a superintendent, I had young people whose families were um, incarcerated. Back then we did a letter writing campaign. And these were students where I had the most behavior issues with. When the letter campaign started where the child would write and the teacher would write to the parents sending the work for the child, that child's behavior changed. It, it went from, you know, engaging in things they shouldn't to, I wanna be caught doing good because I want you to write a letter. I wanna send this, you know, report to my parent and then the parent would write back. And so that helps educational outcomes for our kids you know, as well. Well, Angela, what you're doing is so incredibly important. Um, you know, hopefully you'll get a lot of great comments on the um, your request for comments here by the end of the month. Um, so anyway, we just really appreciate everything that you and your team at NTI are doing to close the digital equity gap across our nation. And I want to thank everybody for joining us today and look forward to getting back together next Wednesday where we're going to be discussing Communities Thrive with Fiber Broadband with Mary Jander from Futurium and the Fiber Broadband Association's VP of Research, Debbie Kish. So you're not going to want to miss that. And we'll see you guys next Wednesday. Also, 30 minutes, um, you know, please join me again for the extremely high cost threshold discussion with Cartesian. Thanks, everyone.